listening to ESL Talk, a podcast made for English teachers by English teachers. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome to a very special episode of ESL Talk. Today, we will be taking an extended look at the topic of effective lesson planning. And as always, I'm Faye. And I'm Daniel. As we mentioned, today's episode is a bumper one. Um, I was recently invited to co-host an online ESL lesson planning event with a friend of the podcast, Crystal, um, over at her site, Crystal Clear ESL. Um, we had an in-depth discussion about effective lesson planning and also answered ESL questions from teachers just like you. Yeah, and I'm really interested to listen to all the tips and advice that was shared and get some ideas for what um, other ESL teachers should consider when planning classes for their students. So Daniel, before we hear more from your talk with Crystal and her guests, let's talk a little bit about what we think makes good lesson planning. Sure. Uh, let me ask you then first, um, mm -hmm. how do you go about planning lessons for your students? What's the process that you follow, Faye? Um, of course, that this depends a little bit on the type of lesson, if it's tutoring like one-to-one -one or group classes, but I always start with the learning goal right? If it's a, an individual student, what is their goal? Um, if it's, let's say, uh, like a course that I'm designing, what is the goal for that course? What do I want students to achieve at the end of the course? What do I want them to achieve with each lesson? And once I know that very clearly, once I have that picture in, in, in my mind, then I like to think of a topic um, for a lesson. So I usually go like objective, like goal, and then topic, um, what do I want to center the lesson around? And then I go searching for the materials and all that to support that. That's for me, those are the two, let's say, starting points um, mm. for, for my lessons, uh, for me to plan my lessons. Um, what, what about you? What do you think goes into a good lesson plan? Well, when I was a new teacher just out of teacher's college and I just graduated and got my teaching license, um, I used to plan lessons a lot. And as time has gone by, I've got more efficient and more effective at planning things more quickly. Mm -hmm. um, I would say to all teachers, definitely have a plan of what you want to do. Mm -hmm. um, and as you get more experienced and more comfortable, you can take less and less away from the lesson plan and just kind of focus mm -hmm. on a few bullet points. Um, what goes into a good lesson plan is a good range of activities. So mm -hmm. if you're teaching 
English language or, you know, you're teaching English writing, speaking, there needs to be all the elements in there. So a yeah. little bit of listening, a little bit of speaking, a little bit of reading, a little bit of writing. Of course, you might just be focusing on one skill in that lesson. I teach a lot of writing courses, but within those writing courses, it's not just writing, it's speaking, it's reading short extracts, it's listening to questions and maybe looking at some, um, you know, stimulus or sources, if that's a video, a short um, extract um, of, of tech, of, of sorry, of audio um, or a podcast, for example, like this, mm -hmm. this could be good. Um, and also another really important thing is to share with the student and agree with the student, like you said, on their goals and what we want to achieve. Mm -hmm. So it might not be a huge thing you want to achieve in that time. It might just be to, you know, learn the vocabulary attached to, I don't know, um, computing or to be able to um, build fluency, which comes from speaking practice and feedback, et cetera. So a lot of things to consider, but essentially have a good range of activities. Make sure your goals are clear and you agree those with the learner. And then by the end, make sure you reflect on that with the student, mm -hmm. ask them for their feedback, and then use that to help you with future lessons as well. Yeah. Um, I know you're kind of, you know, offering a lot of courses on speaking and conversation. So mm -hmm. how do you plan lessons on vocabulary or pronunciation? How do you plan for those? Yeah, so I... I, and especially for vocabulary, I don't see a lesson as a one-off thing, as a separate mm. thing. So it, for me, it's all part of a whole, right? So um, for example, my most recent course, like I said, I have a, a theme for the week and then try to break it down into function. And that's where the vocabulary comes from. So instead of starting with the vocabulary, these are the words I want to teach. It's like, what is the theme? What is the goal? What do I want my students to be able to do with this lesson? Then what are the words that they will need? What are the expressions that they will need yep. in order to do so? It's It seems very obvious to us now that we're experienced, but I, if I think back to when I started and if I think of my trainee teachers, often it's, they, they think about it the opposite way. Yeah. They start, I want to teach this grammar point. I want to teach these words. Uh, but why do you want to teach that? Yes. Right. So it's so much harder to do that. Do it that, that way. That kind of that kind of mm, process. It's kind of a byproduct. They will mm -hmm. learn that through, like you said, through having a clear goal and mm -hmm. themes to help give them the knowledge, give them the skills, give them the production and the practice that they exactly. need. Right. Yeah, that's just it. And with pronunciation, it's a little bit different because you're you're teaching more of a of the specific skill. Mm -hmm. So more recently, I've been doing a series of webinars on different areas of pronunciation, different features of pronunciation. Uh, in that case, it was more like, okay, let's uh, focus on a certain area of expertise, let's say, of how to use English pronunciation. So for example, um, I did a webinar on the sounds of English. So the way I think of it is more, okay, what's the basic thing people need to know first to, to learn pronunciation, the sounds. And then we build from there. And we then we, we did more about the uh, more like super segmental things and more about uh, now we're doing one on stress and intonation. And we already did one on linking and connected speech and what happens and how those sounds that we learn in the first lesson change when we're speaking. Mm -hmm. So there's this progression. And in that case, I like to see it more as like, what's the end point? And then 
what are the steps? Let's 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 kind of like walk backwards and yeah. see. For me to yeah. be able to do that, I need to be able to do this and then do that and then do that. So this is where we start. Yeah, we've talked yeah. about that a lot in previous episodes about having a kind of a a destination or a place mm -hmm. you want to be after ten lessons or twenty lessons, and then breaking it down step by step. And the real enjoyment, I think, the real learning takes place each lesson one by one, and it's the journey, not the destination, that we should exactly. really focus on. Yeah, and then like we said before, just making that very clear to the student. Why are we mm. doing this? Because you want mm. to get here. And this is how you do that. Exactly. Right? Um, now, do you think you have a bit more experience with different ranges, uh, ranges of age? Um, do you think that the way you plan your lessons changes depending on the age of your student? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, again, for older learners, if it's a set curriculum that I'm teaching, it's not. It's already planned. It's already pre-planned. There's going to be slight things that I'm going to tweak and change and adjust for my learner. Um, but with younger learners, because there's such a disparity, I could have two 12-year-old students who, you know, they might be the same age, but in terms of ability, they're miles apart. Whereas with adult yeah. learners who I'm helping with academic writing or maybe, um, you know, exam preparation, then their levels are going to be fairly similar. Mm -hmm. So I can't use all the same things and I can't do all the same activities, but they're fairly similar. So I have a framework to go off. With younger learners, we kind of have to think specifically for that student. Whereas mm -hmm. older ones, a little bit less so, I would say. More like focusing um, on their ability rather than their age or... Yeah, yeah. Again, mm -hmm. you, you, you know, we mentioned a lot about goals and about outcomes and working backwards. But if your starting point is very different to the next student, then you can't go, you can't take those steps in the same process, in mm -hmm. the same order. You have to do it a little bit differently. Um, but for you with, with your groups, obviously you, you teach groups and you have, you know, different um, sizes of class. So mm -hmm. does your planning differ? depending on the amount of students that you teach? Yeah, for sure. Um, I've always preferred to teach groups because I mm -hmm. like the interactive aspect of learning and students talking to each other and peer teaching and peer learning. Um, but if I am working with a student one-to-one, -one, then I have to sort of do that role of the student as well, right? Mm -hmm. Like being able, like giving my student that the opportunity to speak, but also for me to bounce ideas, help them bounce ideas off of me and, you know, have that exchange. So I think that that's important to take into consideration. It's, it's nearly impossible to take the same plan that you would use with a group and then use it for a pair or a one-to-one -one student. Right. right? So yeah. what would you say the most difficult aspects of lesson planning? What are the things where, you know, you're putting lessons or you're putting content together and you're just kind of getting a headache thinking about it? What are some of those aspects? Um, I think that the most difficult thing is happens when you start from the wrong place. So mm -hmm. um, just though I remember hitting a lot of mental blocks and just drawing a blank, trying to plan a lesson. And when I think of those situations, it was always early on, like I said, and it was usually when I did not go from what's the goal. When I started mm -hmm. with, I like this activity, let me plan a, a 90 minute lesson around it. And then I couldn't. Right. right. And and sometimes I would end up planning a lesson and then the activity kind of like made no sense in the end to be used. So um, I think the, the biggest thing is to come up with a concise, like uh, the, the cohesive lesson plan that works if you start from one activity or if you start from, you know, one grammar point, that's going to be really challenging mm -hmm. to come up with a whole lesson. So I think um, learning to set to understand what your goal is and learning where your starting point is, is the most challenging thing when you're starting out planning. 
But now I think it's a good time for us to hear more from what you, Crystal, and the guests had to say at the Crystal Clear ESL planning event. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm joined today by Daniel Shaw, who is a bit of a jack of all trades when it comes to ESL and teaching in general. So, Daniel, do you want to do an introduction of your yourself? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Crystal. And Welcome. Hi, thanks for uh, yeah, thanks for joining. Uh, yeah. So yeah, as you said, Crystal, my name's Daniel. Um, this is my eleventh year of teaching English. Um, spent time teaching in the UK uh, in high schools and uh, colleges. Um, I taught in South Korea for four years at all levels. Uh, now in Canada, teaching at the university level. So it's mainly uh, graduate and postgraduate students, and then also in my free time or in my other time. Uh, develop curriculum. Um, I also teach online as well. That's a pretty big bulk of what I do, um, and work with a lot of different lesson materials, which I'll be sharing with you a little bit today. With that, Daniel, why is it important to plan for your online ESL lessons? <laughs> It's a great question, and not necessarily an easy one to answer. But let me try to break it down into a, a couple of different parts. So. It's important to plan your lessons a because you have a structure for yourself, um, and b most importantly you have a structure for your students. Now, a lot of times we might deviate from that plan. We might kind of go off and just you know get into a different train of conversation or spend more time on an activity that we want. But I think it's really crucial that we plan well 
an over plan um, so that a we're getting the most out of the time we have with the student and most importantly the student is getting the most out of their experience or their time with us um, as a teacher absolutely do you think students ever choose teachers because of their materials or is it strictly sort of a personality based choice without sounding too salesy i would probably say that people buy from people and students probably invest in teachers in the same way um, now if you have good materials and good content to back up your personal skills that's a really key um, quality that students do look for. Um, I know in my experience uh, teaching online that a lot of my students have come to me because I've said to them in the first the first time we meet or if we have a kind of a, a trial lesson or we just kind of assess skills. Um, you know, I, I say I have a set plan to go from A to B in, in this amount of time and obviously work with them to understand their goals and kind of modify the materials to fit that purpose. So yeah, it's, it's really important, but I think the most important thing is you. So be yourself. Right, right. So you're the first thing and then uh, your materials are second. But mm -hmm. I think that they sort of go hand in hand, don't they? Because yeah. um, the more prepared you are, the more confident of a teacher you are, the more you can draw from all of these varied sources and activities and really knock the socks off your students. And I mm -hmm. think that students, especially in those first few lessons of free trial, etc., that's one of the first things they'll suss out about you is, are you a prepared teacher and an exacting teacher and mm -hmm. proficient in your subject matter? Or are you just like chucking it together last minute on the fly? So yeah, I would agree with you that they're both really important. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. So as ESL teachers, where can we find lesson content? Probably not, not a good idea to just Google something because we've all done it. I've done it myself. I've been guilty of it. And I end up spending hours trying to find something that doesn't really fit. Um, but again, starting out, it, it is difficult. So I would say some really good places to start, depending on what you're teaching and the ability and age you're teaching. Um, there is a really good resource site called Twinkle. Um, yeah. Have you heard of that, Crystal? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's huge yeah, here in the UK. So, yeah, Twinkle is fantastic. That's T-W-I-N-K-L, if you want to make a note of that. Um, it's really useful because, especially for younger learners, if we're doing reading, grammar, writing, um, it doesn't just have worksheets, but it has PowerPoints, it has interactive eBooks, um, and it has a lot of really good material. So mm -hmm. at times when I'm trying to um, plan lessons for maybe younger students, I'll draw from that as a resource because I can take a PowerPoint, I can take a worksheet, I can take a book, and then we can I can mesh those together to meet what the student needs. Um, and there's yeah. a lot of stuff that's kind of ready to go as well, um, but I'll come to that later, how we shouldn't necessarily just follow that, but uh, that's right. one really good place. Another really good one, depending if you're a little bit more, um, you know, let's say more advanced learners or more proficient learners. Um, there's another one in the UK, TES, um, which is the Times Education Supplement. Um, this is great for curriculum. So if students are learning, you know, high school or middle school English or math or science, it doesn't necessarily have to just be English. There's a lot of really useful resources on there as well. Um, also quite a few free ones um, on there. I, I know I, I, I do post uh, my materials on tests and I do find um, that it's a good idea if you're selling materials to have a bit of uh, free, a few free materials as well as paid ones. Mm -hmm. uh, but there are a lot of really good free resources as well. Um, one more that I might suggest 
for you um, when you're looking for resources is Teachers Pay Teachers. I think that's right. what it's called. Is that right, Crystal? Correct me yeah, if I'm wrong. Yeah, it is. Yeah. That's um, right. Again, this is um, a little bit more tricky because you ha you have to either contribute or you have to pay a small amount to access those materials. But I'm sure most of us, if we're teaching online, we have something useful that we can contribute. So if we if we submit some um, materials, we can get some back. Um, in that way, that's how you pay, or you could just physically pay <laughs> with money as well. Right. And with the satisfaction that you're actually helping somebody else out, you know, mm -hmm. teachers pay teachers is what it says on the box. It it's does, not yeah. a big company in terms of who's uh, contributing to that. They are individuals, which mm -hmm. I always feel is a bit heartwarming. <laughs> yeah. Okay, great. What's important to look for, though? How do you narrow it down? <laughs> Well, this really comes from knowing your learner and knowing your student and what they enjoy and what motivates them and, and obviously what their goals are. Um, if they're young learners whose parents want them to read, then I think it's really important to find books or um, content that's, first of all, suitable for their level. That's the most important. And we'll talk about that a little later. And secondly, um, topics or subjects or, you know, content that's going to appeal to them. Um, so not necessarily, not, not with gender stereotyping or anything like that. I would never want to do that. But, um, you know, if, if students tell me that they really enjoy sports or they really enjoy food or they really enjoy travel, then we can start to tailor some materials towards that. And even if the entire lesson isn't centered around that, if we can just have one or two elements that show the student or the learner or the parents, okay, this teacher is understanding my student, uh, my son, daughter, their understanding, what they need or what makes them motivated because a lot of times you know students have a lot of lessons a lot of material a lot of classes to study we want to make sure that time's fun enjoyable and also they remember something so that that hook can really help them i think yeah, absolutely that's what keeps them coming back long term mm -hmm. isn't it? sure definitely so what types of activities have you found work best for I don't know, let's say teens. Do you have much experience with that? I do. Yeah, it's really difficult because you have to straddle the line. I, I've had some students who are very proficient in English and they're maybe 12 or 13 years old. And I'm thinking, oh, I can just pitch at a higher level as I would to an adult. But yeah. that's not always the case. So with maybe teenagers as an example, the pitch has to kind of be a little bit down the middle. So we need to still have those fun elements where we you know, have some color or we have some videos for a couple of minutes or maybe something where we're more conversational than just strictly, okay, textbook, ABC. Uh, we can have a little bit of that elements of the textbook, but maybe we combine that with some more speaking activities or creative activities, giving feedback as often as possible uh, and then getting them to constantly connect and correct. I say connect and correct. That's a nice little mantra that I like to use um, throughout yeah. the lessons as well. That's awesome. I also find that um, although you you wouldn't think it with teens because they're often too cool, they usually do love games and really interactive, do. you know, yes. experiences, especially if it's like competitive teacher versus student, even if they wouldn't, you know, admit to it among their friends when it's mm -hmm. like one to one or a small group, they, they'll often quite uh, go for that sort of thing. So that's true. One one thing just to comment on that, Crystal, is it's fine to only use games little and often. Don't yeah. spend 15, 20 minutes of a lesson on that, yes. um, because especially 
for a lot of us when parents are close by or hovering if they if they just see their child playing games constantly they might not get the full picture so it's a yeah. really good point but they are they are great and are useful but obviously just try to yeah. use it as kind of a reward or a motivation or a, a kind of a, a plenary at the end right. of the lesson right and parents aren't usually educators either so they often don't get the sort of educational side of a game mm -hmm. especially when they're only like looking over a shoulder or overhearing from across the room so right. yeah you're absolutely right to be really careful with that definitely okay should we expect to teach lessons off the shelf so we we're searching the internet we find this great curriculum can we just apply it across the board to every student Absolutely not. No, I can't go into a clothing store and buy the same shirt as everyone else, because even though I might be a similar size to most people or, you know, I might have the same taste. Everyone's different. I mean, it's a very simple analogy, but you can definitely get materials that need a little tweaking, maybe 10, 15 minutes of tweaking. Um, but don't just take things off the shelf, because, again, we're also trusting each other. And sometimes when we're in a rush and we're just uploading things, there might be typos or spelling errors yeah. or features of slides don't work or the um, audio or videos are not correctly linked. So yeah. I do understand that it's really tempting to sometimes just say, okay, I'll just quickly search this, download it, looks great, great. And then get into the class and be in that moment. Cause we've all been there and I've been yeah. there too. Um, so, for me, what I've tried to do, it takes time, and I'm sure you can um, expand on this as well, Crystal, is over time I've developed kind of materials that I've taken and I've, I've kind of tailored them in a way that works for me and my students. So I'll find an article, but I won't just copy that article. I'll take certain elements of it and focus on paragraph by paragraph, okay? Then I can add questions in instead of just downloading one worksheet, which might have all that. Um, is that is that something you do, Crystal, or is it some some uh, some of this is resonating with you? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Um, first off, in, in terms of just rocking up to a lesson and expecting it to be perfect, and then you're gonna pull off something all singing, all dancing, it's really mm. not gonna happen. So even if it's just a case of flipping through the slides and knowing what to expect, um, I come from a background of contracted ESL teaching where you can be a very lazy teacher and mm -hmm. literally just rock up for your lesson and go through the slides and, and, and that's done. So um, how I tend to go about it is, yes, you vaguely want to find material that suits your learner, but then a lot of times you can use supplementary materials or props or rewards. I, I use ManyCam, for example, mm -hmm. to target your learner and gain their interest in that way instead so that you know they're still covering the same, um, you know, uh, signposted grammar points along a curriculum. Um, if I find something on the internet, can I just mm -hmm. use it? What are the rules? Mm, again, probably not. Um, you know, there's, there is a lot of legal gray areas as well with a lot of things, and we have to be really careful how we manipulate and use materials that we find. Um, I've personally had the experience where other teachers or other schools have used my material without my consent. And again, I'm happy to share things and, you know, provide yes. uh, resources. But <laughs> if, yeah, exactly. So I wouldn't like it done to me. Now, that's yeah. not to say that I can, you know, that I can't take something I found and maybe twist, you know, give it a twist and use it in my own way. Yeah. 
recreate um, if, it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You know, if if some of I like to put things um, in slides, or you, if you have an LMS that you use, you can do that as well. Um, you know, I think when we when we borrow from from one person, it's plagiarism. But when we borrow from many, it's research. So try to put your kind of stamp and your kind of branding on it, yeah. um, so that again, like we mentioned earlier. Students come to you because you're a great teacher, first of all, but secondly, you have that foundation of that great content and material to back it up as well. Yeah, totally agree. I think there is an increasing gray area, really, because um, mm. as uh, schools like OutSchool and Italki and Preply mm -hmm. or, you know, these um, creative profile or teacher marketplace type companies come about, they employ thousands of teachers but don't provide the materials so then these teachers often want to go and uh, subscribe elsewhere or uh, download this or that which is fine to an extent um, the thing about publishing rights is that publishers often open their rights for use in like public schools and, and for right. mainstream education but not necessarily for commercial private uh, for-profit use. So Absolutely. even things like um, sharing a, an extract from a novel, like Harry Potter, for example, wouldn't be allowed in a commercial setting because that's for personal gain. It's not for public education. So it is important, I think, like you said, Daniel, to to tread carefully with that. Mm -hmm. Just 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 to um, just to kind of expand on something you just said. I actually do teach the bulk of my online lessons on Italki and. The way that I help myself stand out from the crowd, because there's a lot of teachers on there, is to have a really succinct, well-planned profile that explains everything really nicely. And then in the classes that I offer, this is it's not a class, it's a one-up, it's a course. So you're going to go through A, B, C, D, you know, all the way through. Um, mm -hmm. And that seems to appeal to learners really well. Um, and also it helps me because I can offer different courses um, yeah. and I can obviously again, show my personal qualities as well as the material to back it up, like we said earlier. Oh, that's really cool. That is mm -hmm. good. And by using your own material too, you've got that extra sort of enticement. It's there in the bank, right? And we can use it and reuse <laughs> yeah. it and repurpose it as we need to, which is, which is really useful. Good. Okay, cool. Uh, what does a lesson plan look like to you? Um, it depends pretty much on the learner and the class and the type of class that you're teaching. So I teach a lot of different uh, things. I teach a lot of different courses and um, online lessons. So if I'm teaching a reading class for a, you know, a young learner, um, I will generally have the, the, the reading or the book or the story. I'll have that in there. I'll have the materials uh, in there as well. Now, I don't necessarily have a lesson plan. I have an outline. So it's not detailed um, because if I have 40 minutes with a student and we're reading, essentially that's what we're doing. And over time, once you build up that comfortable, you know, style and that kind of familiarity, you don't really need to plan essentially in a detailed way. You just need to think, okay, this is what we're doing. This is the plan. However, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't reflect and you shouldn't get feedback on a regular basis because Ooh, the biggest problem that a lot of us make, or I don't want to generalize, but the, the biggest problem a lot of us seem to experience is we might be doing really well when we start teaching online and then things get quiet and students drop off and we're kind of thinking, well, I'm doing everything the same. So why is that happening? That's the problem. We need to constantly <laughs> try to, you know, 
keep things yeah. moving, keep change, not changing for changing sake, but adapting and responding to feedback. Um, so if I'm teaching, let's say an advanced, you know, a graduate student who needs um, work on their writing or their speaking, um, that'll be a lot more detailed. That'll be a lot more structured. Um, mm -hmm. For example, I might ask them to provide a piece of writing. Okay, so then we're going to go through that writing, feedback on the writing. Then we take that writing and we develop it or we use it as a conversation point. So it really depends on the learner. And it, it really depends on the type of lesson that you have. Um, the, the one, the kind of, the one we need to really be careful of is free talking or free conversation that should be planned because there is nothing worse than that that silence prolonged silence a few seconds here and there that's great especially for the student but we need to kind of plan that out what are we going to talk about what are a list of 20 or 30 things that we can discuss and how are we going to develop from simple easy closed questions to longer developed open questions to develop so Oh, such a good point, definitely. So do you said that it can be de detail or more vague or more detailed depending on how the, the needs of the student are, but do you have to be like a trained curriculum developer? Do you have to be a skilled linguist? Absolutely <laughs> not. Plan? So if you visit those, um, those sites we mentioned earlier, a lot of them have free lesson planning, uh, free lesson planning um, materials and lesson plans you can just download. I think I've even put one up there myself for teachers. So you don't have to be an expert. Again, with teaching, with anything you do, the more you do it, the easier it becomes. And once you find your rhythm and what you enjoy and, and what the students enjoy, then you don't have to be you know, an expert. It might be really useful just to see some examples of what a good lesson plan looks like. So you can start to um, tailor that to your students, but I don't think we have to be experts now. Right. Okay. Perfect. So anybody can do it. Absolutely. Just do it. Just dive in. It's not too difficult, especially once you, you kind of get a groove for it. And we have but this then, great community, right? So if you, if yeah. you have developed a lesson plan and you say, no, can you give me some feedback? I'm sure we'll all be happy to do that because it's a learning opportunity for us as well. Oh, that would be super fun. I hope some people mm -hmm. do do that. So then a lot of uh, curricula are available on the web and people spend a lot of time talking about how important they are more than just individual le uh, lessons mm. themselves. So why is a curriculum important? A curriculum is important because when you first work with a student or you meet a student, you need to show them the, the destination where we're going to get to and your curriculum is, is the journey, how you're going to get there. Um, so if I just say to you, Crystal, okay, we're going to meet uh, for 30 minutes every week and we're just going to talk. Probably after two or three weeks, you're going to think, well, I'm paying this money and we're talking and great. I like to speak English or I like to talk, but what, what, what am I achieving? You know, what's my, um, what's my goal? What am I getting out of this? And we find that students drop off or they might just continue out of maybe, you know, politeness or whatever, but we're not really doing, doing ourselves and the student um, the best service that we can do. So if we have a great curriculum, we can say, okay, my goals are one, two, three, four, five. Set those goals at the beginning, uh, the first time we meet. Okay, now we need to actively work towards those goals. Then I can show you, I'm accountable to you as, as a teacher. Here we are, we're working on this, this skill. We're working on this goal. Have we achieved it? Partially, okay, are we starting to? We're working towards oh, it and we can 
check those off, we can work our way through so that by the end of the 10 or 15 or 20 or however many lessons it is, that student can then say, yep, I have asked for this, you have delivered this, wonderful, I'm happy, you're happy, let's continue learning or let's try something else or yeah. let's, uh, let me introduce you to my, uh, my children or my son or my daughter yeah. or my husband because that's happened a lot of times with me because students feel like, okay, I can trust this, this teacher and that's a really important part. Um, you know, they're, they're doing their best for me. They're trying to, they're listening, they're responding, they're, you know, creating things that I need to, to suit me um, and they're getting value for money. And again, we, we work hard and we all deserve to be paid well, but we also have to give back to our students in the same token because it's gotta be a reciprocal exchange. Indeed, indeed. I think you've touched upon what I consider to be the two most important um, things that we provide for our students, and that's enjoyment and a love of learning, English, mm -hmm. and progress, and, and yes. signposted progress so that the student or the parent can see you come from A and now you're at D and you're going to F, you know, mm -hmm. and the time frame involved too, so that goals can be set and people can be accountable as well. This is why, as, as a curriculum developer myself, I, I agree that um, the curricula are so important. Mm -hmm. All right, cool. So you want, you've got a curriculum set out in front of you. You want to ascertain where a new student is on that curriculum. What level or lesson do you start them at? How do you mm -hmm. go about assessing student levels? So in my first, so let's say it's a young children, we're doing a reading or an ESL class. Um, I'll, I won't just have one thing planned for them. I'll have three things open. And in that first five to seven, maybe 10 minutes, I'll start out with very simple, very basic questions to ascertain where they're at. Um, and then usually, and not, not always, but usually, I'm sure it's the same for you, Crystal, is after two or three minutes, you're either like, wow, we need to start very basic or wow, this student's really proficient. We can, we can get right up here. So, yeah, because you start at what you think is going to be like a middle ground, yeah. right? Yeah. Now, um, another way you can also do this is to assign some pre-tasks. Uh, so sometimes I ask students to, if they can write a, an introduction. Um, if that's too much, then maybe just tell me some of their favorite things. And that can also really tell a lot about that student as well. Mm -hmm. They just write a few lines, um, even though we're not seeing them and speaking to them. Um, it does tell us a lot in terms of their ability. Um, with older learners or, you know, maybe high schoolers or um, adult learners, you can also maybe give some online placement tests. I know Oxford has a couple of different ones that they can do, which can give a, a relative level of their proficiency. Um, yes. So those are great tools as well. But in the first instance, always have two or three different things prepared. And even if you feel like this curriculum would be good, but it's not quite perfect, then we can start to tweak it and change it. So some right. easy ways you can do that is adding difficulty to questions, adding layers of detail, adding more open philosophical kind of statements and, and that kind of thing and, and getting them to maybe um, guide the learning as opposed to you. Right. Yeah. Using more inference and so, so on. Mm -hmm. For sure. Yeah. Okay. So what if there's a disparity between one skill and another? For example, the student's quite proficient in speaking and can engage in, you know, advanced conversation, but their reading is, uh, you know, several levels lower. Yeah, that's pretty common in, in a lot of cases. So 
what we do with that is we obviously need to focus on all four skills, but we just maybe give a little more time and attention to those other skills. So if it's reading, instead of just speaking about the text, why don't we do some comprehension questions? Let's look at some reading skills. Let's look at some um, more kind of investigative reading as opposed to just talking about it. Okay, well, what does this mean? Or which words um, show this? Yeah. Or are there any certain phrases or synonyms? So we can start to build all of them. You can't just you can't just say, okay, you need to work on reading, so we're only going to do reading. Um, right. It's still going to be a mix of those four skills. It has you to might, be. You might just yeah. have a sort of slant, slant toward one or two of them. Yeah. Um, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and I would say again with with the younger learners as well, they're probably strongest at speaking um, if they've had some exposure to that. Um, what you would then do is you'd have like a lot of short activities, short games within the lesson, which focus on those other skills. So we're not saying you're great at speaking, but you're terrible at everything else. It's more of a subtle way of, okay, let's spend a few minutes on this. Mm -hmm. uh, reading. Okay, correct that reading. What does this word mean? Um, why, how do you think the character's feeling? Or where are they right now? So you can use those W questions for elicitation. Okay. Uh, and then maybe at the end, okay, could you tell me in one, one sentence what's going on, what's happening? Um, and then that way you can get writing in. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, there's, there's a lot of little tricks and things that you can do. Um, and I'll be That's happy to, to give, give some afterwards. But um, yeah, right. I think so it's basing just about... The, basing sorry. the lesson on one specific skill, but then elaborating and drawing in the other... Yeah, you have to have elements that. of all of them. Yeah. 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 Cool. That's really good. So how do you, we've talked a lot about progress, but how do you make sure that your student is making consistent progress? It can be really difficult to measure progress um, in, a, in a tangible way. Um, I do a lot of teaching for IELTS. So some students, they want to improve their proficiency and that's a really, not, a, not an easy way, but an easier way um, to measure progress. With younger students, um, what I'll generally do is I'll have kind of um, stories or books that are set more at uh, a certain age range, and then we can progress through the ranges at once they, you know, once I'm confident that they're hitting everything. So mm -hmm. we'll start off with the younger students, um, you know, books that are more visual, less words, and then we have more words, less visuals until we get to a certain stage. And you can check that progress through comprehension questions, through um, summary tasks, through reflections. Um, that can be a nice way to help you with that. Um, also with uh, writing as well, I would say it's more about looking at a piece of text. How well do they connect ideas? How well do they join ideas? What are the major errors that they're having in the frequency of those errors? Um, so it depends again sorry to say on the type of lesson and type of student, but you can, you can measure that and you don't have to give tests to, to measure that. It can just be activities or homeworks or little, little games or um, plenaries within the lesson that are disguised as fun activities, yeah. whereas they might be little tests or quizzes. And also right. a really, really valuable way is to at the end of the class, what's one thing you learned today? Or what's the most interesting thing you learned today? Or can you tell me a fact that you learned from the book or something like that? And then the real progress comes at the next class. Do you remember the book we read last week? What was it? Who was it? Who was it about? Where was it set? And again, those questions connect and build that deep thinking that's really important for progress. Wow, super important. Mm -hmm. I also am a huge purporter of feeding back 
on yeah. progress. I I probably overdo it with feedback because my students get like a good paragraph after every 25 minute lesson that outlines, mm -hmm. you know, where they did really well, a few things to boost their confidence. Um, I'll remind them mm -hmm. of the homework and then I will also sort of sandwich in there something for them to work on. And that way, so I teach younger kids, but that way their parents can see where they've come yes. from, what they've mastered, and what still needs a little bit of work. And I try because I find um, it's difficult with young kids and over the internet and paid classes because parents quite often can't have you in three, four, five times a week. But language learners really need that really steady mm -hmm. um, interaction with the language. So, Things like um, little homework tasks or little games to play at home with their parents or a little reading exercise or book um, can really facilitate that progress even more to get their parents involved. And parents love homework. They do. Yeah. <laughs> and you can make it fun. It doesn't have to be onerous or heavy. Absolutely. It can still, you know, review a skill or touch upon something to come in a fun way. Definitely. Mm -hmm. Good. Good point. Um, but I think it gets really heavy with something you have a lot of experience in. It's the exam preparation, because you mm -hmm. mentioned earlier about the IELTS exam. I don't have a lot of experience in this. And um, to be quite frank, I don't want to because <laughs> I feel like the pressure is really, you know, high on the teacher yes. to produce those results that the, the student wants. So how do you deal with that, Daniel? You have to be honest and you have to be realistic with that student because yeah. again, you're doing them a disservice because some, again, some teachers, I'm not going to say where or, or when or how, but some of them might say, oh, that's no problem. I can definitely do that. Well, you every student's different and <laughs> it doesn't work that way. Right. A, a lot of it comes down to the student's own motivation and their kind of their approach and their way of thinking about something because a lot of the time when we when we have a goal or a target um, as a teacher, we have to try to kind of open the minds of our students and uh, do a lot of relearning because a lot of the time students aren't where, they're not where they want to be or their parents are not where they want them to be because perhaps they have learned some bad habits or they are just very stubborn in the way that they do things. Um, or so, they've been out of it for a while. Right. So with that, it's kind of, this is what I can do for you. These are the steps. I cannot make any guarantees or promises. However, I will give you all the tools, all the support, all the guidance and everything you need to succeed. But I can only hold your hand so far, right? There's a certain yeah. point where they need to kind of walk alone for, for part of it. But um, I generally find as well that, you know, if you if you're really good at what you do and you really enjoy what you do, that'll come across to the student and they'll be more willing to, to give back and try to do those things. Um, because if we're feeling as if oh, the student's a little bit difficult or I don't really want to teach them, but they've paid for the course now, so I'm going to have to, that comes across, not directly, but it comes across. And then that'll sometimes be reflected in the, in the responses or the, the homework that you get back. So right. definitely try to be positive and be realistic and be honest. And I think students will respect that and they'll hopefully um, go along with you, provided that you can do those things. Great. Okay, cool. So if your student uh, isn't putting in the effort or they're finding it too difficult, what, what can you do as a teacher? 
So yeah, that's a really good point. Um, and a lot. this goes back to what we said earlier about having a curriculum. You, you never teach a set curriculum. It has to be, here is my curriculum, but I'm going to deviate slightly and move things around. It's like a jigsaw, right? You have to kind of right. put the pieces in the right place. So on the, let's say in a class, I'm teaching a student and I thought, oh, when they were speaking last week, they were really, you know, confident and comfortable and they were, you know, making very few errors. So I can, I can pitch this and 10 minutes in, you realize this is probably not their level. So what can you do? Um, in my experience, when this has happened, I will very quickly, because I have two screens, <laughs> I'll very quickly skip ahead and either remove some questions. This is very difficult to do, wow. so I wouldn't advise this. Um, another really important thing that you can do as well is to just kind of put a break into your class. Okay, so for the next three minutes, we're just gonna quickly read this. I'm gonna ask you some questions, so be ready to answer those questions. So you can put some <laughs> artificial breaks in there to help you. Um, and then with some of the questions as well, you can say, okay, let's do them together. Let's look at this word. Let's break it down. So you can spend more time on some of the, the easier activities. So in the more difficult ones, you can either backload them for later, or you can just kind of, you know, not use them if that's not going to work. So what you should do um, in the class is focus more, spend more time on the activities, spend more time on the easier things. and Again, it's, it comes it comes with experience um, and time management as well. It's really really difficult to do, but with enough time and experience, you can say, "All right, before we move on, um, let's take a look at this page. What do you see in the background? So, what do you think the weather's like today? So, how do you think the characters are feeling? And what color is this? Is this the same as this? Is something different? So, again, you can just kind of direct students in other ways and get them to think about other things if the text is too difficult or the questions are too difficult. Um, so there's lots of different techniques that you can definitely use to, right. to help you meet that. I love that. I love the idea of just spending more time. I mean, yeah, we're our own bosses with this job for the most part. So if you don't mm -hmm. get through everything you plan, because maybe you weren't on the mark uh, proficiency wise, you can spend more time on one activity in that lesson and then feed things through to your, your next classes. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And develop each of them in more detail because that's with, what your students. Yeah, with young learners, the last thing we want to do is make them anxious or overwhelmed. Yeah. And you know, it, when I see that happening to to my to the young ones that I teach, I generally just slow it right down. Yes. And I'll ask them, you know, something maybe related to the story. So if the if the characters are eating, I'll say, oh, so did you, what did you eat for for breakfast this morning? Oh, I had right. this. What did you have? Okay. Yeah. And then you can start to get them back in terms of feeling more comfortable, and then you can just focus a little more on things and yeah. just take your time because a lot of time when students say nothing sometimes they genuinely don't know but other times they just need that thinking time and we think silence mm -hmm. they don't get anything which is not always the case oh gosh and then there's that parent giving them the answer <laughs> i'm sure you've all been I there won't, i won't get into the topic of parents oh, because we will be here for a long time a topic for another month right <laughs> how to deal so. with parents that pretty much sums up all the questions that I brought with me, but do you mm -hmm. have any final food for thought or top tips for us? Um, it takes a lot of time. I've been teaching online exclusively for the last three years. And when I started out and I think back to my first lessons, I think, what was I doing? No, why did I do that? Yeah. And you have to, you have to be prepared to fail. And 
I fail, I don't mean think I can't do this anymore. It's yeah. all right. I need to make sure that I do this next time. So be reflective and maybe think back if you've done three or four lessons in a day, maybe the end of the day or the end of the week, think, okay, what could I have done better? So I've gone from a system where I just had a, I was doing conversational classes. I just gone from a system where I had a word document with some questions. Hmm. Okay. This is fine, I guess, but I want the students to get more out of it. Why are they going to choose me over the other millions of teachers? All right. So instead of just a word document with questions, let me find out what they do for work, what their hobbies are, what their interests are. Let me build themes around yeah. these lessons. Let me put them into visuals. Let me have really high quality, engaging visuals with the questions in there. Let's connect them to an article for reading so they can do reading practice. Let's have a written reflection as homework. And then you can go from something very simple from a crumb and you can build it up. And now I have five or six different curricula, which I've put together over three, four years, which is not off the shelf, but it's oven ready. There we go. That's my expression that I use. <laughs> Just got to put in some salt and pepper and get it seasoned and then it's good to go. So yeah. I love that oven ready. Yeah. I'm going to file that one away. Thank you so much, Daniel. Now, thanks, Daniel and Crystal, for sharing your expertise on lesson planning. There are a lot of really useful takeaways from this. Yeah, thank you. I, we hope you enjoyed the extended chat with Crystal. Feel free to join her on Facebook, or you can visit her website, which is Crystal Clear ESL. You can just search that, and you'll be able to access a lot of resources um, and materials for your ESL classes. Um, if you do have any questions or feedback, as always, you can get in touch with us via Instagram. We are at ESL Talk Podcast. Or you can send an email to esltalkpodcast at gmail.com. And you can also find us individually on Instagram. And you can find me at learning with Faye, Faye's F-E-Y. Or at I'm Daniel Teacher. So we hope you'll join us again for next week's episode, which is all about mental health and well-being. Thank you, everybody. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe for even more ESL teaching content.